Hi, producer Jane here, welcoming you to another episode of The Book Pod. Yes, if you're listening to this in the Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast feed, we don't want to confuse you, but we do want to let you know about our new little sister podcast, The Book Pod. So we're releasing them here through Don't Shoot the Messenger for a little while longer. But if you don't want to miss out on an episode, make sure you subscribe to The Book Pod. Just search for it in whatever podcast app you use and tell your friends about The Book Pod. Enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Book Pod, the new fortnightly podcast that brings writers, books, and readers together via the digital world. I'm Corrie Perkin, and today we have a wonderful guest, someone I've been wanting to meet and interview for a very long time, her name is Jane Harper. She's a best-selling Australian author. And our book potters out there will probably know Jane's name because I bet you most of you have read her very first novel, her debut work, The Dry, which ended up being such a success, being published in so many different countries and languages. It's just an extraordinary achievement. And you're here today, Jane, because your third book, The Lost Man, has just arrived on our bookshelves. Welcome to the book pod. Thank you for having me. It's so lovely to see you and meet you finally. You first came onto my radar when you won the Victorian Premier's Literary Award for Unpublished Manuscript, which I think was back in 2014 or 2015? 2015 it was, Yeah. yeah. And that was The Dry. That's right. And I had seen your byline because you have been a journalist at the Herald Sun and the Geelong Addy and other places. But that was the first time I thought, wow, what ha- what happens now? Because most, as you know, most of the manuscripts that do win that award go on to become a book. And of course, yours did. What happened? It was an amazing opportunity, actually. And I would really... Um you know, I, I urge anybody who's got a manuscript um, you know, festering in a drawer somewhere to consider entering a competition like this because it just opens doors for you that, you know, maybe otherwise wouldn't open. Um, when um, The Dry won that award, I suddenly had so much interest from agents and publishers and it really was um, such a great start for, for this manuscript that I'd, I'd written. And um, I got my agent, I got my publisher on the back of um, the interest from that and... Yeah, I was really delighted to see it published the following year. Well, it had extraordinary success, The Dry. The number of awards it has won or indeed been shortlisted for would just probably take up our entire program. But a couple that are very close to my heart is it did win the 2017 Indie Book of the Year Award, which is where all the independent bookstores, such as my own, uh, we all vote. And so I think that is, a, and we vote not just because of a book that we, the booksellers, loved, but also one that we have noticed our customers have really gravitated towards. So I think that's a great achievement. You also won the 2017 British Book Awards for, for, in the Crime and Thriller Book of the Year section. And then, dare I mention their name, Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> but you did win the Amazon's Best Mystery and Thriller Novel for 2017. Just to name a couple of awards, there's some amazing achievements there, Jane. Oh, thank you. Oh, well, I was really um, blown away by how much support people gave this book. You know, I mean, you mentioned the independent booksellers, and I really cannot thank them enough for the level of backing and just enthusiasm they gave this book right from the start. Just you know, giving it such a great reception, and then like putting it into hands of readers because, especially as a debut, I mean, as you would know that 
it really takes something to to get people, I think, to pick up a debut and give a, an unknown novelist a chance. You know, spend their money and their time um, on something they don't really um, know what it's going to be like. So to have those independent booksellers recommending it and kind of putting their own good name and reputation behind this recommendation as something they thought their customers would enjoy made all the difference. Well, I must say, as a bookseller, I'm very pleased to hear that, and I agree with you 100%. And just to put in a plug for bookshops as opposed to buying books online at one of the big multinationals. It is true that in Australia we have a really healthy ecology of independent bookstores and in most cases the booksellers take their role so terribly seriously and they read as many books as they possibly can. That's why they're working in a bookshop. But there's nothing quite like hand selling to customers when people come in and say I want to read something new. But we also take very seriously our role of promoting Australian writers which honestly Amazon doesn't do or any of the others. So, you know, I, I think it is a case in point. But look, let's just be honest. It wasn't about us. It was about you and that amazing book. And that incredible character that you invented or came out of your head, Aaron Felk, who is a federal police investigator. And in the dry, of course, he you, you bring him to um, an area of the world that is familiar from his background, his country, former country town. And of course, it's been one of those tragedies that we see too often in drought when an apparent suicide and murder has occurred with a farmer who has shot his wife, his child and then himself. One of the th- There are many things I loved about the dry, Jane, but your sense of Australianness is so extraordinary, yet you're born in Britain and you came out here as an eight-year-old. I wonder, does it make you more, like do people like Miss Jane, our producer and I, do we kind of take the Aussie bush for granted, but you come in with new eyes? How did you capture that spirit and that, and that, even the smell of the bush and the feel of the dry land. How did you capture it so brilliantly? I think that is part of it. Um, so I, I did spend um, some you know, childhood years in Australia, and then I went um, back to England with my family, um, where I went to um, university and worked for a few years on my first newspapers, and then came back um, to Australia in two thousand and eight. So ten years ago now, and I think having that time away definitely meant that when I returned as an adult with those fresh eyes, I was able to sort of. Um, recognize, you know, memories and experiences that I, I'd had as a child, but see them slightly differently and maybe be able to identify what actually made them quite unique to Australia as opposed to, you know, the experience you might have um, in other countries. Another thing that really helped me was working as a journalist. So I'd done that for 13 years in print media. And, um, you know, a big part of that, especially when I was working on community papers, was, you know, talking to people and listening to their stories. And, yeah, I, I think really listening to what they're trying to say and then attempting to relay that in a way that will engage readers and help them fully understand what this person is going through. So there's a few elements um, that sort of played into it. And I, I also try and be really quite selective about the description I use. So I, I don't waste too many words describing things that I think people can easily imagine for themselves and are quite universal. I try and save the description for things that are very particular to that area and will really sort of sum up in a reader's mind what actually that experience of being there is like um, so they don't get overwhelmed by too much description. Well, it, it is a fault of bad writing, too many adjectives, because it's an easy way out. And in fact, Ernest Hemingway <laughs> used to try and challenge himself to write a perfect sentence without putting an adjective oh. <laughs> in. So his readers would work extra hard. I did feel that in, in your hands, the Australian outback rural life 
and also in your second book, Force of Nature, uh, where five um, women on a bushwalk, I think they're all women, aren't they? I can't they remember. are, yeah. yeah. Five women go on a bushwalk and only four come back. And again, Aaron Falk is called upon to sort of solve the mystery. But that sense of the denseness of the Aussie bush. And then, of course, in your new book, The Lost Man, you take us to a remote cattle station in central Australia where one family, three sons, there are sort of, if you like, rival properties, one fence line, but one of the sons is found dead. It's a kind of a whodunit, but then it becomes so much more of a family drama. I loved this book, and I have to say of the three, it is my favourite. I really feel you've, you just kept it so suspenseful through, but you made all of the characters come to life, and the family dynamics were very real to me. They weren't melodramatic. But the bush and the outback had something to do with it because it clearly is not an easy life. How did you find the material for that? You Don't know, tell me you go and li- went and lived on a cattle station for um, a year. <laughs> no, I didn't quite do that. But, you know, I absolutely loved writing this book. I loved every moment of it from the research to the writing to, you know, the cover to the way it's kind of come together. Like It was an absolute joy. And I still – I'm almost sorry it's the book is finished because I still think about the characters. What a lovely thing to do. I know, I know. It's, but no Aaron in this one. No, not in this one. And I think that's um, mainly because, as you mentioned, it's, it sets, you know, in a really remote part part of Outback Queensland and I think it's really important to try and tell the story in the best way that you think you can and a big part of that is obviously the characters and he he just wasn't the right fit for this book as much as I love him and I enjoyed writing about him I felt there were better characters to tell the story and I, I really enjoyed writing about these yeah you know, these three brothers you know Nathan in particular who's the main character I did actually do on the ground research for this book so I spent several months yeah, here in Melbourne, reading around you know, the lifestyle and um, speaking to a lot of people who had sort of lived in lived that kind of um, life and worked on those kind of properties. And then I went up to Queensland in February, um, and I um, went to Charleville, which is a small outback town, and I met um, a man called Neil McShane, who was the um, only cop in Birdsville, policing an area the size of Victoria single handedly for ten years. And he very kindly um, offered to drive me 900 kilometres from Charleville to Birdsville. When he told me his stories, I asked him questions. Um, what a great road trip. Oh, it was amazing. And but the, also as you're going, you're, you're travelling through um, just some of the most remote yeah. part of Australia. I, that's right. I took a, a thousand photos, all almost identical because, you know, it, it, it's a very straight, you know, um, road a lot of times. Um, but um, it was it was beautiful. It was such a... You know, it's such a beautiful way to see the country. He was such an interesting man, so generous with his time and his insights. He introduced me to a lot of people in Birdsville. I went out to a few of the properties, went out in the ambulance with the nurse, um, spoke to some of the, um, you know, people who do various jobs and just tried to sort of get a real feel, not just for the factual elements, but also, I guess, like the, the emotional, um, the, emo- the emotions that come with living somewhere so remote. Well, one of the things that you often hear, and I certainly experience it myself when I'm, I'm in an outback situation and you're quite deserted, is a sense almost of, I don't know, it feels almost like a claustrophobia. It's so quiet. You, can, you feel like you have almost muffler things on your ears and you can, could almost start to panic if you can't see one living thing around you. Mm. And it is an uneasy 
place in which to live, but it's also a very beautiful place. And I think you do um, have descriptions of um, of, a, of a place of apart from this terrible tragedy. But there's a sense of peace and continuation of, of habit, a love of the land, and it comes through with this family that is just so sort of tragically rocked by the death of the middle brother. I won't give any more away about that, but. Um, Tell me why Aaron didn't pop into this one for you, and are we going to see him again? Oh, I think I think for sure. Um, I'd love to go back to him. Um, you know, I, I, I do. You know, he was he was sort of the first um, sort of character that you know really sort of grew for me. Obviously, when I was writing the dry, and and it was really great to explore a bit more with him with Force of Nature. Um, and um, so I would yeah love to return to him. I think um, just for this one. Um, the three brothers were so sort of clear in my mind, and they were they 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 took up such a big part of the story. Um, I really liked the chance to have to write about them. I loved you know, Nathan, the main character. Well, really... again, another flawed sort of lost hero. Yeah, and in fact, the title could mean either the brother who died, or in fact, Nathan himself as he's trying to find himself. Yeah, and I mean, Nathan has so many um, sort of layers to him by the end of, of the book, and he sort of really grew in my mind a lot, and I really. Um, honestly felt for him a lot you know I was sort of writing this book and I was thinking oh gee this poor guy like <laughs> look at all this stuff that's you know he's kind of having to deal with so um yeah I you know I still I still think about him um even now I've finished writing the book actually oh maybe he's a, maybe there's another story <laughs> for him Jane you you mentioned your journalism years and as you said you trained as a young reporter um on one of the um small rural uh, English newspapers and then went to a big one as a senior reporter and then came back to Australia. And uh, I'm often interested how journalists can make the switch, sometimes successfully and sometimes not so successfully, but certainly I'm thinking of people like Caroline Overington and Chris Hammer and so on who have been journalists for many years working in the real world and then their writing takes them into the very unreal imaginative world. Was it an easy switch for you? To, to kind of go from one to the other? Or had you always dreamed of being a fiction writer? I, I had always um, hoped that I'd write a book one day, um, ever since I was a child, really. And I just never had managed to find the motivation and the, the time to really put the effort in that it required. It seemed like such an uncertain, um, you know, some, such uncertain rewards with such a lot of effort. And I was sort of quite focused on my work and um, I think I just procrastinated like a lot of people do for for quite a long time. And it got to the point where I just thought, um, I realised that if I wanted to, it wasn't enough to just do it, I was going to have to make time within my day-to-day schedule. So part of that was working around the full-time journalism job. And I used to write for an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening every day, ideally, to try and build up you know, that sort of consistent habit. Because working as a journalist did really give me some fantastic skills that um, I still use you know, to this day when I'm writing fiction, the discipline to actually sit down and write and express yourself clearly on a page, um, kind of um, try and think hard about your readers and you write for the audience so you want to give them something that's going to pull them in early and keep them interested. And it, I think one of the interesting things for me was actually how um, similar the approach could be. I, I think I thought writing fiction would be completely different. And when I first started, I did the early drafts were full of terrible adjectives and you know, too much description and, and um, sort of rambling, you know, um, sort of trains of thoughts. And when I sort of realized that actually I could really approach it very similar way to how I wrote an article, just be crisp, clear, to the point, 
suddenly it all became a lot easier for me. And do you write in a linear style from beginning to end like most journalists do when they're approaching a feature story or do you tend to dash off notes and then kind of put it all together? So um, when I actually come to write the manuscripts, I definitely write it um, yeah, linear, so start to finish. But before that, um, increasingly, and especially with this last one, The Lost Man, I um, plan a lot. So with this one, I actually spent um, probably four months planning it and I did a really extensive chapter by chapter breakdown to the point where I knew how I was going to start the chapter and end it and how the next one was going to start and like I need a whole sort of arc of the story before I actually started writing it because I just personally find it so much easier to have that plan in place and know what I'm aiming for. I had a wonderful uh, experience and I must say I was um, I, 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 I experienced it at your expense. I was in the beautiful London bookstore of um, uh, not foils, um, Waterstones in Piccadilly. And it was July 2016. And there was a display as you walked in on one of the tables at the front, all of the UK edition of The Dry. This one, and, and banners of love, you know, this amazing new novel and big shout out lines. And I felt so proud. I felt like standing there going, oh. she's an Aussie just like me, even though I knew that you <laughs> probably have a dual citizenship. But I felt so excited. And then watching the success internationally, um, we knew it would be take off here. As booksellers, we knew it was a, a Monty in Australia. But to see it take off so successfully internationally, did that surprise you? And what is it about its Australianness you think that it connects? Or, or, or is it, are your stories international or worldly? We all experience these things. I think, yeah, it did surprise me a little bit, um, the extent to which it's been embraced overseas. I mean, I'm delighted, obviously, but I wasn't really sure myself, you know, what people would make of it, whether it would it would be too Australian or whether they would sort of connect with it. But um, I've been, you know, so pleased with the way that people have. And I think just with you know, readers' feedback, um, you know, a couple of things have kind of... Um, appeal to them and one is you know the the landscapes we have here you know are sort of quite exotic you know to to people who, who don't live here and I think even to us ourselves as you know city coastal dwellers you know we're fascinated by the interior as, as much as anybody um but it does have that kind of element of um you know exotic foreign location and then I think secondly um a lot of the themes you know regardless of the setting or um, you know, the nationality of the characters are quite universal. So, you know, themes of homecoming and friendship and loss and regret and, you know, are, are things that, um, you know, people really globally can relate to. So um, I'm glad that they're, they're sort of finding those things that they can they can tap into. So it has been picked up by Reese Witherspoon and her production partner to turn into, I presume, a film or a Netflix drama or whatever it's going to be. Uh, we had in we were joined on the book pod a couple of weeks ago by Leanne Moriarty, who was saying that she she even though she was happy for Big Little Lies to be transferred to the U.S. West Coast, there are some of her stories that she feels are very Australian. If Reese Witherspoon says to you, "Look, we love this, but we want to set it in uh, you know Midwest America." What's your feeling about that? So fortunately, um, I actually know it, it will definitely be set in Australia. Oh, hooray! Yeah. So um, have they got? They haven't gone into production yet. They're they? quite close, actually. Oh, how yeah. exciting! Watch, watch this space oh, on that. It's can going you tell well. Tell us any, anything about um, the yeah. The, so um, casting, uh, I can't at this stage, but it's not. You know, it's it's going. Um, it's it's getting you know closer 
every day really. Um, the the production's going well. There's a lot of work being done you know, behind the scenes in terms of getting um, you know, to where they need the, to be. Um, it will be said in Australia. Um, there's, um, in Victoria, I believe it'll be filmed actually, which is great because that's obviously where the book is set. Um, and um, yeah, the, the funding is um, being put in place and um, you know, it's great to have kind of a team like that behind it uh and i'm just excited to see you know what i do i hope very much that on screen it it sort of reflects that australian element and the the essence of the characters that the readers have 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 enjoyed well you're doing so well you you, one book a year in your first three years of being a novelist and they've um they've all been (laughs) well i think this next one will be too but such hits and particularly the success of the dry and a film deal so it just doesn't get better (laughs) and at what point did you step back from daily journalism and go off the payroll, if you like, and trust your writing to get you through and your family through because you have a little daughter. I do, yeah. So um, I got my publishing deals um, for to dry and um, it was they're actually a three-book deal, all the English language ones. So, um, And that was um, sort of August 2015. And I actually left my job as a journalist in April 2016. So I, so what's that? Um, I stuck out for seven, eight months. Um, and the dry was actually released then a few months after that. So it got to the point where, um, I sort of felt like the opportunity was there for me to, to write books. And that is not an opportunity that comes along every day. You know, it's something I, I would, I had dreamed about for years and for, to sort of feel like actually I had a security of the three book deal and, no. Mm, let me see. Will I go back to the Herald Sun and cover <laughs> police routes or will I just keep writing? Lovely novels. That's that it. Make I mean, lots of money. <laughs> it's lovely to be able to kind of, I guess, work on your own, you know, your own writing and, and something that you choose to create, really. And do you have a set routine for your writing? I do. Funnily enough, having left my full-time job, I actually um, now mimic that full-time job in, like, really very closely. So I leave the house. I go to an office space. I work for a set number of hours. I set myself... Um, deadlines and like short and long-term goals and a schedule um much the same as actually when I was on a newspaper I love a good deadline so um because I think just because having done it for 13 years I know that that works for me and I know if I do that I can get words on a page and when you go home at night are the characters still talking to you they do yeah and you kind of put them in the briefcase and say no not till tomorrow at 9am no not they 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 stick with me a lot um especially for this book I mean I'd be you know I'd be at home sort of making dinner or, you know, kind of half watching TV and I have sort of glazed look in my eye because, you know, I sort of be thinking of something and my phone is full of um, middle of the night, you know, revelations when I wake up, like, of course, that this must happen. And I, and, I, and I look the next day, I've got these notes sort of all scattered through the night when I've, I've had an idea occur to me. So no, no, they stick with me quite a lot. And your partner, your husband, uh, must look on with bemusement. We uh, we also and we were also uh, joined on the book pod a little while ago by Claire Wright, who's written this extraordinary history of um, women, uh, 19, 20, early twentieth century Australian women, who were responsible for women getting the vote. And um, she said that her husband would often rock up at a dinner party without her and say, oh, "Terribly sorry, Claire's not coming tonight. She's in nineteen hundred and eleven." But she'll be back soon. <laughs> so you must have patient partners. I do, I do. Yeah, I have a um, yeah. My husband Pete is really um, so um, amazing with the books. He he's absolutely supports me one hundred percent all the way, and he's he's so great with um, yeah. He, he cares for our daughter um, a lot. Um, 
you know, and really puts his own sort of hobbies and career and things on the back burner often so that I can have the time that I need to write the books. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's sort of banded about a lot, but I really couldn't write the books without him. So I'm very lucky. Well, we can't let you go today without the six quick questions, Jane. So I hope you'll bear with me. They may be slightly ridiculous, but <laughs> look, what the hell? We can. It's our podcast. We can do what we want. Right. So my first question to you is, what was your favourite book or character or series when you were a little girl? So that's actually an easy one for me because um, I'm going to say The Witches by Roald Dahl. And maybe favourite is, is um, not quite the right word, but it's one that's definitely struck with me for years and years. And I it think. was a fabulous film too, I have to add, with yeah. Angelica Houston. It was. <laughs> and I think just the fact that for maybe me and so many other children, it was the first kind of book we'd ever read with that real dark element to it it's where things didn't always turn out okay and for me that was absolutely eye-opening I'd never read anything like that in my life and I still remember that feeling and if you had to pick your three favorite fiction writers which I know is a big call and if we look over a period of you know long literary history but if you had to pick your three favorites who would they be oh good question so um I've always really enjoyed the um Lee Child's Jack Reacher series. Um, I think they're they, you know, great page turners and I love Jack Reacher as a character. Um, I do have really fond memories of reading um, uh, Gillian Flynn's Gone Girl on a plane before kind of really I'd even heard about the hype or knew what it was about and just having this pure sort of joy at this book that just kept me racing through it and I remember at that time thinking I would love to write a book that keeps people entertained on a plane. Well I think it's a very good example and I think the publishing community call that marriage noir or something like that. It's oh, this right. particular yes. genre that has a name. That's right. Well, And um, and I, I did remember that experience when I was writing my own books. I think I'd love to sort of try and recreate that, that emotion in someone myself. And then thirdly, um, I think I'm going to go for um, Marion Keyes actually who has been um, – a favourite of mine since, you know, probably my early 20s and she writes these sort of beautiful um, books about um, you know, your Irish women and their, and their relationships, but very funny and very warm, but also with this really quite dark, gritty line running through them, quite serious subjects done in a very accessible, lighthearted way. Um, and I, they've, um, they're the kind of books when if I just need to feel, you know, better about something or I just need a little bit of escapism and just to enjoy them, um, I often find myself returning to her. Well, it's funny you should say that because one of my daughters recently was in hospital having a baby and she rang me and said, Mum, could you pull off the bookshelves at the shop a couple of Marianne Keys? Yeah. And it's not that it's dumbing down and it's not that it's chiclet, but it's just really terrific stories to relax and relate with. And I think also people... Um, often completely underestimate um, if something is, is easy to read and accessible to read, they, they think that means it's easy to write and it's absolutely not. It's such a skill to kind of tell those sort of stories with that kind of gritty element in such a, a way that people will still keep people turning the pages so quickly. It, you know, she's a fantastic writer and I think um, I actually learn a lot from her in terms of the way she handles her characters' relationships. Our third question uh, relates to true crime podcasts. I don't know whether you're a fan, but if you are or do you have one that you've listened to and can recommend? Actually, I don't really. Um, I'm not really. Um, I'm not really on the, on the on the wagon for those just yet. But I've heard so much about them. They're obviously so popular. I should I should be. I'm, I'm not really into true crime that much. I think just because I find it a bit. Um, honestly quite confronting and I think I think it's you know I spend and sometimes it's stranger than fiction <laughs> it is that's right and I think sometimes I just um, when I'm not writing the books themselves I, I do like to 
you know, experience things completely outside the genre, really. And if you had a choice of any actor in the world to play Aaron Falk, who would you choose? Well, um, I would choose, I'm not going to name names because I actually do know that someone has been cast. Ah! Um, and so all I, I which I, I unfortunately can't say who it is. That but, was kind of my sneaky way of trying to get you to say. <laughs> um, but I will say I'm I'm absolutely delighted. I think he will do like a brilliant job of just capturing that spirit and the essence of the character that readers. Is he an Australian to. actor? Can I we ask honestly that? Can't. can't say. I literally had to sign contracts and everything. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we'll come back and try that in a few months with you. And what's your favourite genre to read? Is it crime? So it, it definitely used to be. I really did love those books, the kind of you know mystery, suspense, the kind of blockbuster thrillers. Um, and I still do enjoy them, although now I do find, especially when I'm writing, I do try and read something completely different. And especially I try and read things that um, I feel are actually very different from my style so that I can ideally sort of learn from authors who do things in better ways. So I can try and just tap into a little bit what it is that they are doing that's kind of evoking those emotions in me and, and is, is there a way that I can kind of try and bring that out in my own writing. I think turning to other writers for inspiration, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. Mm. How many times have we all sat in front of a blank screen to write a thousand-word feature and thought, how do I begin this? Yeah. And if you read someone else's work, all of a sudden you're in you're in a particular zone, I think. Yeah, and I think there's just so many writers who do things so well. I mean, Helen Garner, her the books where she sits in a court case. Mm. And like this, this House of Grief. Yeah, absolutely, and brings to life just this with these beautiful sort of succinct descriptions, you can absolutely see things. I think she does that so well. And like I say, with Marion Keys and the relationships. So, yeah, it's really good to kind of read quite widely. Well, it's always good, isn't it, to read widely? And our last question is one we always ask everybody. Are you in or have you been in a book club? Oh, so um, I was in a book club for a while, actually. And then I had to drop out, unfortunately, just because of writing commitments but I bet, I bet they're all very proud of you now. Well, it's, it's funny actually because part of the reason I joined was because a friend of mine invited me along because the book they were reading was The Dry and asked <laughs> if I would come along and have a chat with them. And then I just sort of kept on turning up. So, <laughs> so you're a kind of an unofficial member. That's right. Oh, so they'd be so happy to have you. It was it was fun. I enjoyed it. And I, I would, yeah, I would get back into it again. It's just... Oh, it's like everything though, isn't it? People who was complaining about being time poor, but yeah, it was it was it was great fun, and and I loved it. There are there are a few a uh, few more enjoyable things I think if you're a book lover than sitting around with a glass of wine and a cheese platter and discussing a good book. Absolutely, preferably with girls, although men are good too. I've, yeah, <laughs> we run we run book clubs at the shop where we have lots of men coming as well, and they bring a slightly different perspective I think as well it's funny to think sometimes the things that they pick up in a book that nobody else has quite picked up on or they approach in a slightly different way and they also secretly love it when girls talk about relationships of characters because we (laughs) girls usually do that so well (laughs) Um, Jane we wish you all the best with The Lost Man The Lost Man is published by Macmillan Australia it is $32.99 and it is at all good bookshops near you do support your local independent bookstore we all are so appreciative of that Jane, it's been so lovely to meet you. I'm really thrilled that we've had this time together. I wish you all the best and thank you for visiting us and we wish you many happy years of writing these sorts of wonderful books. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Oh, and that was Jane Harper, author of The Lost Man. Miss Jane, not that Miss Jane, this Miss Jane, our producer, 
my dear book pod friend. How lucky were we to have that gorgeous Jane Harper in the studio with us? I was really excited to meet someone like her whose book, I, mean, I must admit, The Dry, just right up my alley. I just love You love I mean, a bit of crime. <laughs> I do like a bit of crime. I'll admit that. A little bit obsessed. But no, it was wonderful. And she was just so lovely to speak to, even off air, you know, and juggling a, a little child and, and the career and that huge rise to fame, oh, I, I agree. Uh, look, I think we're going to hear a lot from Jane Harper in the years to come. I think she's on the start of a very significant literary journey. Her first two books, The Dry and Force of Nature, really firmly entrenched her as one of Australia's most successful authors. But this new book, The Lost Man, I think will bring new readers, um, not just crime lovers, but those who want a really authentic Australian family drama. It's got the whole lot. Absolutely. And you can so see it on the screen. It sort of reminded me of when I was about like 13 and read The Thornbirds and that really outback kind of Yeah, feel. that dusty, probably, desolate. Probably a strange comparison, but I did note that there was a tiny little sort of callback to a couple of the characters in the first two novels, that sort of um, indication of, oh, were they going to send anyone up from the city? Ah. Were they going to send the detective up? And as she Aaron, mentioned, the Falk, famous Aaron yes, Fork, that she had said didn't feel right for that um, book, but it's like, oh, you've just put the little feelers in there that there could be a, a you know a follow up to it as well. Uh, we must send a little shout out. I know you hate that term. I do, I do. <laughs> we want to say it's a millennial yes. term. I'm not happy with. Say hello to Justin Irwin who uh, posted on the Don't Shoot the Messenger Facebook page. Of course, we update you on the book pod there and said loved the dry. Read it while having the most relaxing holiday in Russell, New Zealand. We'll look forward to the Lost Man, although it could be the story of my life. So, I, oh, I hope Justin, <laughs> come on. Up. Hope you've read it, Justin. And the picture he sent with a couple of glasses of rosé, a copy of The Dry and this incredible sort of, you know, yachts and, and the tide out on the Looks view of beautiful. Russell, New Zealand. It was pretty awesome. Uh, we also got some feedback, Corey, about your interview with Anne Summers, which was just such a highlight for both you and I. And wanted to say that hello. That was episode four? Episode four. I'm losing count. Gianna uh, said, congratulations, Corey. My first book pod, not the last. Great and fascinating conversation, by the way, with you and Anne Summers. And Vicky Mills also said via Facebook, this was a fabulous interview, Corey, and your wonder and awe moment brought an extra special tone to it. Loved it. So thank you to everyone who has been uh, sending feedback on oh, some of the episodes. That's so lovely. How can people send messages to us, Jane? They can jump onto the book underscore pod on Twitter, on Instagram, on the Don't Shoot the Messenger Facebook page. So look, you can get in touch. Feedback at thebookpod.com.au is the way to send an email. As well, all of those details are in the show notes, so you can check them out in your podcast app. I just wanted to also just mention to Jane Harper fans. I'm not sure whether you guys are aware, but she has a very active uh, and wonderful um, Instagram account, Jane, and it's called Jane Harper Author. And because Jane is taking this book in the new year to the UK and the US and she's doing two very big author tours, she's a great one for posting where she's been. It's kind of like travels with my aunt sort of thing. So it's fun to watch her uh, where she's going and, of course, the success of that book internationally. I'm sure it's going to be huge. And uh, she also has a really terrific website, janeharper.com.au. Now, Janie, on to our book pod book club. 
And a reminder to all our listeners that our book of the month, it's actually been the book of the past two months because we wanted to get this up and running. Um, and we were also waiting for you to finish the book. I know, I know. <laughs> well, it would you. help if I delivered it, of course. I could have um, just bought it from my bookshop, but thanks. <laughs> no, no, I delivered it by hand. Camilla Shamsi's Home Fire. We will be releasing our bonus episode where Jane and I think Caro Wilson is going to join us for the chat and myself. We're going to shoot the breeze about this most wonderful book and also include our listeners' views. Now, we have had a couple of correspondents um, come in. Thank you very much for your reviews of the book. If you'd like to join our book club and bring to the table your views about the book, we would love, 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 love to hear from you because that's the only way a good book uh, club can work if everybody has a say. So a couple of ways you can contact us, either via our email, which is in our show notes and Jane mentioned before, or you can actually do a little voice recording review of the book with your iPhone. I'm still um, a Luddite on that, Jane. I'm not quite sure how to do it myself, but they can send you a recording. How do they do it? You just literally get your voice recorder out on your phone. It's really good quality these days on most smartphones. Uh, record it, and then as long as it's not too long. And you, you have to name it as a file, or do you oh, just send it as a message? Yeah, or? just put the book pod. You can probably send it via the Facebook page, the Don't Shoot the Messenger Facebook page, or you can just email it feedback at thebookpod.com.au. So if you keep it to sort of 30 seconds to a minute, it's not going to be a ridiculously big file, and your little voice might pop up on the show. Oh, we would love to hear your little voice, whoever you are. Um, and Jane, now for our book pod plug of the week. And this is a book that just kept me entertained over the past weekend. As you know, I'm not such a crime buff. I do get a bit scared and I even get a bit scared with the odd thriller. But this one did had a nice sort of gentle balance of humour and uh, and on the edge of your seat stuff. Graham Norton, who you would know oh. as the comedian and television host, this is his second novel. I didn't know he wrote. <laughs> That's what everyone <laughs> says. Where have I been? Poor Graham. Um, this is his second novel and uh, it's called A Keeper. A Keeper. And his first book, which came out last year, did really well. It was a bit of a whodunit. This one is a bit more of a, of a grim kind of scaryish thriller set in an Irish country town. So what happens is that the New York-based academic Elizabeth Keane returns home to the Irish village of Boncara, where she grew up. Uh, her mother has died, and she's coming back to Ireland to pack up her mother's things and um, and move on with her life back to New York, where she has a child. And as she's sorting through her mother's things, she discovers a pile of old letters, and these letters reveal the secrets of the past and the story of Elizabeth's father. Years earlier, Elizabeth's mother, Patricia, had been assumed to be a spinster. She was in her 30s, I think, and everybody thought, oh, she's never going to get married. And then she began dating a mysterious man from out of town and within a couple of months had left Bankara and married. Two years later, Patricia was back in the village with a new baby in her arms, but no husband and no explanation. And for all of these years, it has been a deep, dark secret, including to Elizabeth, the daughter herself. The Times said, a keeper won't win Norton the Nobel Prize for Literature, but it is an atmospheric, creepy and impossible to put down novel. And I agree with that. So if you've got a sunny or a wet Sunday afternoon, Janie, that's the one for you, I reckon. I love anything to do with a little bit of family history, family secrets, you know, those things that you find. I know you've had that experience of, you know, packing up your mother's belongings. Oh, what you find secrets. in the back of the cupboard, oh. just as Elizabeth does. Yeah, Love look, it. it is, it, is um, it, it, it does feel very authentic. And I think Graham 
Norton after the debut novel Holding, which came out last year and actually won the 2016 Irish Book Awards Book of the Year. I think this is um, a really terrific follow-up. Who would have thought Graham Norton, such a fine writer? Thank you, everyone, for joining us on The Book Pod. If you are enjoying the show, we would be so grateful if you could rate and even review us via iTunes. This system of sharing recommendations does make Jane and myself feel good, but it also helps other podcast listeners to find us. It really does work like that. You can also contact us via email or follow us on Instagram, and the account is at the book pod, at the book pod. And we hover under the umbrella of our big sister podcast, Don't Shoot the Messenger. So if you're ever unsure how to find us, just go into that one and you'll see us there on Facebook. Thank you, Miss Jane. Thanks, Corey. And thank you to Jane Harper for coming and visiting us. And thank you to everybody for listening. And happy reading, everyone. 